This episode is brought to you by The Island by Adrian McKinty, the international best-selling author of The Chain. So how far would you really go to protect your family? What would you really be capable of if your family was threatened? This mother and father are about to find out. Propulsive, terrifying, and blade sharp. The Island is the next thrilling adventure from the mastermind behind the award-winning global sensation The Chain and a family story unlike any you've ever read. The Island will be released in Australia on the 24th of May, so pre-order today. I read this book in two days. It's compelling, page-turning, and character-driven, and it's definitely one of my favorite reads this year. But be warned, once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. Think Like an Author by me, Michael Wagner. I'm the author of more than 80 books, mostly for children and young adults, but I've previously earned a living as a copywriter, comedy writer, songwriter, radio broadcaster, and screenwriter. Today, nine ways we actually sabotage our own creative process. Okay, nine things that I think stop you from doing your best work as a writer. So watch out for these. You do not want these sabotaging your fantastic work. One, commercial considerations of any kind. So when you start second guessing a marketplace, what publishers are looking for, uh, what's successful out there, you lose the pure authenticity of what it is you want to say. Two, worrying about what others will think. It's really important that you do not think about what your parents will think of the story that you're writing, what the people you've based characters on will think about the story that you're writing. At my age, you worry about what your adult children will think about the stories. And then even older, you start worrying about what your grandchildren will think about the stories. You've got to let all of that go. Pretend it's never going to be published pretend you're never even going to submit it to a publisher at all and just write without that as a consideration. Number three, trying too hard. If you're straining yourself to make it as absolutely perfect as possible, you will take all the fun out of it. You'll make it a miserable experience and you won't end up with better work. So don't try too hard. Four, not trying hard enough. <laughs> you can't not write and get anywhere. <laughs> so not trying hard enough is as big a problem as trying too hard. In fact, it might even be a worse problem than trying too hard. Five, overconfidence. You might be in a perfect zone where you're not trying too hard and you are getting the job done. But if you think it's all great, that's a problem too. And you can also become someone who's too happy with your work too soon. And that's not a great um, outcome as well. Just be confident, but not overconfident about your writing is the best place for you to be with that. Number six, underconfidence, self-doubt, all those fears. I'm not good enough. No one would be interested in reading this. Who am I to have an opinion on any of these things? Underconfidence is also a very dangerous place to be because it can stop you before you even start. And it can also ruin the experience as well. If you're fighting that much self-doubt, then again, horrible experience to do the writing. And that's no fun at all. Forget about whether or not you're good enough. Just write and you'll work out whether or not you're good enough later. Number seven, thinking too much. I mean, you've got to think, you've got to use your brain. It's a valuable tool in the process, but ultimately you've got to do 
rather than think. And also, don't be led, if you can help it, by just your brain. Try to let your imagination lead in the creative process because it is play, it is creation, and your imagination is really, really helpful at that. It's probably your strongest tool in the creative process. Number eight, distractions. The phone, notifications, the news, all forms of procrastination, they will stop you from getting into flow. They might even stop you from writing altogether. So beware of distractions, do whatever you can to keep yourself from being distracted while you're working. That little bit of working time is set aside, no distractions except in the case of emergencies. Everyone can look after themselves while you get on with your writing. Number nine, haste. Rushing can cause you to send your work out when it's not quite ready and it needed one or two more drafts and then it would have been very publishable. A little bit of patience and not being too hasty is a real bonus for you. So just write every day or almost every day. Start to feel that flow where you're just in a relaxed state but you're writing quickly. That's what you're aiming for. And once that flow starts to happen, that's when you really become someone who's contributing something authentic. Don't let those nine things stop you. You can find more Think Like an Author videos on my YouTube channel, Michael Wagner Author. Think Like an Author by me, Michael Wagner. I'm the author of more than 80 books, mostly for children and young adults, but I've previously earned a living as a copywriter, comedy writer, songwriter, radio broadcaster, and screenwriter. Today, how to work out the ending to almost any story. Okay, let's talk about the most crucial part, I think, of your story. This is just my opinion. Um, the start's fairly vital as well. And then there's the middle. That's kind of important too. But I think the ending is where the, sat the deep satisfaction comes from your storytelling. There are basically three standard kinds of endings in the Western storytelling tradition, um, for better or for worse. And I think it's actually fairly straightforward to work out what the ending of almost any story is by comparing it against these three possible ending types. Okay, so, but first things first. First, you've got to identify the central core problem or goal of your story. So is the goal for the character, the main character, to uh, climb Mount Everest or to find true love or is it overcome the villain? They're all story problems that um, are fairly typical and, and yours might be more subtle than that. Sometimes there's a superficial problem going on with a subtle unconscious or subtextual problem going on simultaneously. So you might have someone who's trying to climb Mount Everest, but in, a, in psychological terms, they're trying to prove that they're a worthwhile human being. Okay, but whatever it is, basically your story is most likely going to be the unfolding of a person's attempt to overcome a problem. Now, basically in life, there are three ways that that can go, and I call them up, 
down and ironic. You can also have these anticlimactic endings, which I think are a bit of a dud and maybe a bit of a fizzer, but maybe they have their, their purpose as well. So uh, it might be the, the exact thing that suits your story. But here's the process. Find what the true problem is that's being dealt with in your story or the true problems. And then you've got to work out simply which ending type you want to employ. So up ending reaches the peak of Mount Everest. Down ending dies in the process of trying to reach the peak of Mount Everest. So that's a tragic ending, which may be the most suitable ending to that story. And then there's the ironic ending, which is a mixed ending. It's basically somewhat up and somewhat down. So that might be a case where the person reaches the peak of Mount Everest, but achieves a Pyrrhic victory, achieves a victory where the cost was so great that it was barely worth it. Or the subtextual problem that they're trying to overcome isn't a success. So they physically reach the peak of Mount Everest and realize that they still feel like a worthless person. So basically, once you know the, the, the central problem of your story, what you can ask yourself next is simply, do I want this to end up so the problem is solved and everything's great? Do I want it to end down so the problem is not solved and possibly things are a whole lot worse than they were in the beginning? Or do I want to end this in a mixed, ironic kind of way? And these are often the most beautiful and interesting and truest to life endings. Because basically when we try to solve a major problem in our lives, what tends to happen is we get some of the way, but not all of the way. In real life, we experience a lot of mixed endings. Even when we succeed 99%, it's still a mixed ending because there was a little bit of uh, failure in there, 1% of failure. Mixed endings are very powerful, very rich kinds of endings that actually make us think for a long time afterwards about the story. Down endings are often the best way to achieve a change in the world. And then of course there's the upbeat story, the story that ends on a hopeful note. That really fuels our sense of hope in the world. Maybe overly romantically, but it does give us a little bit of extra hope because we've seen someone struggle with a difficulty and overcome it and achieve their hopes and dreams. And that gives us the sense that perhaps we could achieve our hopes and dreams as well. So to work out the ending to your story, simply identify the core problem or problems and then work out, are they A, resolved, up ending? Are they B, not resolved at all and perhaps made worse, down ending? Or C, are they partially resolved, partially not resolved, which will give you a mixed or ironic ending to your story? It's as easy as that. You can find more Think Like an Author videos on my YouTube channel, Michael Wagner Author.
Think Like an Author by me, Michael Wagner. I'm the author of more than 80 books, mostly for children and young adults, but I've previously earned a living as a copywriter, comedy writer, songwriter, radio broadcaster and screenwriter. Today, how authors make money from books. Okay, let's talk about the uh, curly topic of money (laughs) and how authors earn it or don't earn it, (laughs) depending on how they go as authors. Okay, so there's multiple different avenues of of income from a good book. Uh, So it depends on the quality of the book. That's the first fundamental. You won't make much money at all if you don't write a good book. And income is like this. You write you write a manuscript, you send it to your publisher or a publisher. If they like it, they offer you an advance on the royalties for each sale of the book. Now, I'm talking about Australia. These figures will be slightly different in different countries, but maybe uh, roughly the same. You'll get the, the concept as we go. Um, so an advance is paying your royalties, some of your royalties in advance. Typical advance might be anywhere from $1,000 to, it could be any amount. I've heard of million dollar advances. These are very, very rare. Forget million dollar advances, forget $100,000 advances, forget even $10,000 advances. When you're starting out, take any advance you're offered, okay? It's paid back on the royalties anyway, so it doesn't matter in a way. In fact, if you get a low advance, then it's paid back quickly and there's less pressure. On you. Sometimes a really high advance um, it feels like a win at the time, but it's actually a dangerous thing because if you don't fully pay out your advance through royalties, then you can look like a, a failure to the to the publishers. They can feel like they overspent on you and be less inclined to publish your next thing. So take a, a low advance and hopefully it'll pay out really quickly and you'll be in positive financial territory straight away. So the advance is is the first payment, but it's a, an advance against royalties. Typically in Australia, the creators of a book receive 10% of the recommended retail price as a standard royalty. Now, if the book is illustrated, like a picture book, then it would most likely be a 50-50 split between the author and the illustrator. If it's a $10 book, the royalty is $1, and that would be split between the illustrator and the author, 50 cents each. That 10%, it sounds when you say it like that as not very fair, because maybe you think we should get 50%, that would be much more like it, or 90%. (laughs) But it is a lot fairer than it sounds, because if you think of all the people in the chain between you creating that book and it being sold to a customer, it's actually a lot of infrastructure that someone has to pay for. You don't have to pay for one cent of that. All you do is sit there writing on your computer, having a lovely time, whereas the bookshop has to run a bookshop, staff it, uh, electricity bills, computers, um, you know, all the expenses of that. The distributor has to truck books out to different shops, just the the trucks and the warehousing and the postage, the expenses are huge. And then the the publisher is also going to be running an office with um, expensive overheads, a lot of staff involved, a lot of editorial staff, all sorts of people involved and the printing costs as well. So there are a lot of costs and it's actually quite a fair 
deal to receive 10% of the recommended retail price of, of the book, even though it might sound a little bit alarmingly small when you first hear about it. A little tip, it's often possible to get a rising royalty after a certain number of sales, which might be um, go from 10% rising up to 12% after, say, 10,000 sales or 20,000 sales, because at that point, all the costs have been probably repaid on the creation of that book. And now there's a little more profit in each sale for the publisher. And it's just a way of taking part in the share of that profit yourself. So publishers are often very reasonable about that sort of thing. And uh, it's just a matter of asking. And if they don't want to do that, then they probably have their reasons and that's fine too. Um, but it's worth asking. So that's your royalties and your advances. They're the main income from a book. And they obviously, some people make very little um, on, on both advances and royalties. Most books don't make a huge amount of money. But then there are obviously some extreme examples um, of people who've made literally hundreds of millions of dollars from the sales of books using that exact formula. It's a different formula if you're self-publishing. It's a little more. It's surprisingly not as much more as you would think uh, because there are cuts taken by the print-on-demand people and by the online shop front that you're using. They take a fairly big, hefty chunk as well, which leaves you maybe maybe 15 or 20%, something like that, of the recommended retail price as your profit. You get a little bit more, but you've also got your book published guaranteed. So it's it's a really great option for people who can't get a book published but still believe in it. There's many examples these days of absolutely huge selling books that were self-published, at least initially, and then possibly published by a traditional legacy publisher later, but have had a massive life of their own just from the self-publishing process. So there's a lot to learn for self-publishing, but I would say it's really, really good to learn it because it gives you that freedom. You can write with greater freedom knowing that if all else fails, I can self-publish this easily myself. But there's other streams of income for a book as well, especially children's books. In Australia, we have a thing called lending rights, which is a small fee paid to the author and the publisher and the illustrator uh, of any books that have been kept in libraries over the last year. And these can add up to quite a lot of money. They almost outpace royalties over time. So whatever you do, if you're in Australia, make sure that you register every book for lending rights because they can add up, especially if you've got a lot of books, it, it can become a good little earner. The other thing that can spiral from a good book is screen rights and screen rights are where a producer of television or film decides that they want to make a movie or a TV series or a TV show out of your book. They then option the book. Now, optioning the book can be uh, where they pay you a very, very small, often nominal fee um, to just be able to shop that idea around to other people and generate interest in raising money and that, that sort of thing. So they, they might option your story for um, a couple of years, five years, something like that, and then try to sell it. There's also overseas sales rights. Now, generally speaking, when your publisher sells your book to an overseas publisher, so, so maybe they sell your title to a big American publisher. At that point, your publisher in Australia is acting as your agent 
So they are selling the already editorially worked over story, the designed um, illustrations. They can be selling the whole package to a publisher. So they take basically a, a big agent's fee out of that, So which might be 25% or something like that. It varies a lot. So, But look at your contract. Make sure it's um, reasonable. And often a publisher in Australia can sell the rights multiple times to China, America, the UK, Germany. They can sell the rights of your story many times over. And then you're getting little sources of income from all different countries. There is another source of income, and this is probably the last one I'll I'll talk about, which is speaking engagements. For children's authors, it's very common for them to speak in schools, but there's also talking in all sorts of other settings, up to corporate kind of things, which can be very lucrative as well. For a school visit, you might earn as little as a few hundred dollars for a one-hour talk, but it might be more than that. But when it comes to talking at major events or corporate events or adult events or festivals, then the the rates can change considerably. And for big corporate events and things like that, it can actually go up to tens of thousands of dollars if you're that good a speaker. Um, so it's it's the value you bring that determines whether or not you get paid these wonderful vast sums of money, uh, which uh, are rare. So uh, don't expect that, certainly initially, but maybe you can build up to that or maybe you can have an absolute blockbuster from day one. You, your book's published and suddenly you're a superstar. That would be fantastic. I hope that's what happens for you. There are other sources of income for authors, but that'll do for now. You can find more Think Like an Author videos on my YouTube channel, Michael Wagner Author. Think Like an Author by me, Michael Wagner. I'm the author of more than 80 books, mostly for children and young adults, but I've previously earned a living as a copywriter, comedy writer, songwriter, radio broadcaster, and screenwriter. Today, criticism can propel you forward or it can set you back. Here's why you should beware of critics. Okay, so there's two kinds of criticism, good criticism and bad criticism. Good criticism can transform your work and is gold, but bad criticism can really cut you off at the knees and take away your confidence in both the work and yourself as a writer. But how can you tell the difference? Well, you're going to have to work that out, but I'll give you some clues. Firstly, don't seek feedback too early. If your idea is fresh, it's not actually ready to share. Sharing an undeveloped idea is asking for trouble. If you ask me, early unhelpful feedback can ruin a brilliant idea that had flaws, but flaws you were going to naturally fix over time, but are now a giant problem in your mind and makes the idea not worth pursuing. Too much criticism too early. Unless you're brainstorming, I'd suggest not sharing a fresh idea and just working with the idea for a long while before you discuss it with anyone. 
But when you are ready to share, you've got to be careful too, because you can write something that's brilliant and show it to the wrong person and feel like it's a failure. Imagine a death metal band asking for feedback on a brand new song from, say, The Wiggles. I've got nothing against The Wiggles, by the way. I love The Wiggles. The members of The Wiggles, they might have very wide-ranging musical tastes. I don't know. But chances are they're not really the best people to ask about a death metal song. Chances are the Wiggles are not going to like it just because of the style and the genre and that makes their feedback really kind of useless. Imagine what they might suggest doing with a death metal song to make it sound like it's to their taste. It's probably not going to be a death metal song for very much longer. So if you're writing death metal books or the equivalent, maybe don't ask for feedback from someone who's sort of like the Wiggles. But also, when you ask friends and family to provide feedback on your story, sometimes there's a risk that the feedback will be loaded with ulterior motives, or maybe just be delivered with an insensitive style. Ulterior motives, this is a little bit paranoid, but bear with me for a minute. Ulterior motives in the feedback might include a friend or family member who wants to appear smarter than you, uh, or maybe they want the story to match their own personal taste, or maybe they feel like strong negative criticism is the best way to be helpful, or perhaps they are simply wrong in their suggestions for improving the work. This has happened to me. I had a book, uh, a novel, a few years ago, and I shared it with some friends, and they made a suggestion, which was on the surface a really logical, technical good idea for a suggestion, but I implemented their idea and regretted it once the book came out, I really should have trusted my instincts and gone with that for that idea. So, you know, perfectly good natured uh, feedback and it was just wrong. You know, this is how this happens. I'm sure I've offered feedback that was wrong many a time. In fact, my son is a songwriter and I've often offered suggestions to him for his songs and his band. And he's almost never taken my suggestions and always proven to be right. Go Will. So when you're creating something, you're putting your heart out on your sleeve and you are very vulnerable in that process. So really be very careful about who you seek feedback from because when you're in that vulnerable state, you really need someone who's caring and who's got your work and you at heart in their feedback. You can find more Think Like an Author videos on my YouTube channel, Michael Wagner Author. This episode is brought to you by City on Fire by number one international bestseller Don Winslow. Stephen King has called Don Winslow one of America's greatest storytellers and Christian White has said that City on Fire is a masterpiece, wonderfully crafted, beautifully written and a propulsive, authentic page turner. It's already receiving rave reviews all around the world with Publisher Weekly, Library Journal, Kirkus and Booklist all already giving it starred reviews saying epic, stunning and brilliant. It will be released in Australia on the 4th of May, so pre-order now. 
Think Like an Author by me, Michael Wagner. I'm the author of more than 80 books, mostly for children and young adults, but I've previously earned a living as a copywriter, comedy writer, songwriter, radio broadcaster and screenwriter. Today, there's one simple question I think you should ask of every scene you write. Okay, so you're writing away and you've got a bit stuck at a plot point because you don't know what to do next. My suggestion is to simply ask yourself what would happen next, not what you'd like to happen next, because you might have a plan and a, and a plot point that you want the characters to reach. But the really important question that you always ask yourself is what would happen next? What would happen in real life next? And this is where you might bring into view um, the shadows and silver linings that I think are, pr are probably in every human experience. Um, every good thing that happens really does probably contain within it a shadow. And every bad thing that happens really does probably, eventually, <laughs> contain within it a silver lining. It might take a long time to get there, like years, but it's probably in there somewhere. So when you ask yourself what would happen next, what you're really asking yourself about is what's the shadow side of this? If it's a positive event that's just occurred, or what's the silver lining? What's the hopeful side of this that's happened as well? Sometimes a really bad negative event leads to the supportiveness and the compassion of other people coming forward. So maybe it's in this dark moment that someone comes forward with something that begins the healing process with your protagonist or protagonists. So the question isn't really, how do I get them to achieve my plotting aims? The question is, what would happen now? You can find more Think Like an Author videos on my YouTube channel, Michael Wagner Author.